0: Today on the Sunshine Economy, preparing and paying for caregiving for a parent, grandparent, or loved one.
1: At 95, she was still driving. She had a car accident. And she said to me, it's time for me to move into independent living.
0: It's the cost and concerns about caring for a loved one as they age. I'm Tom Hudson. Florida is getting older. The fastest growing age group in the state are those 65 old and older.
2: I've been having a lot of conversations with my mom because I'm the grandchild.
0: Facing the care and cost of aging next on the Sunshine Economy. Welcome to the Sunshine Economy on WLRN. I'm Tom Hudson. William Shatner made history last week. The actor who played Captain James Kirk on Star Trek more than a half century ago became the oldest human to reach space. It may have been only an 11-minute flight. and didn't orbit the Earth, but it was enough to make Shatner a record holder.
3: And suddenly, as I'm coming down, I'm thinking, you know something? I'm 90 years old.
0: <laughs> that was Shatner on NBC's Today Show. 90 years old, born before the space age, and now riding a rocket into space when the average age of a NASA astronaut is about a third of that. It's a reminder of despite the steady march of time, how aging is changing. And the COVID-19 pandemic has brought this into stark focus. More senior citizens have died from COVID-19 than any other age group. Three quarters of Americans killed by the virus have been at least 65 years old. Early protective measures and vaccine efforts were focused on older people, especially those in nursing homes, and for good reason. The virus has highlighted how older Americans are cared for, the special vulnerabilities they face, and the challenges families have to confront when making caregiving decisions. Dana Pinsack is just beginning her journey with her 83-year-old father.
4: My father is a retired Fulbright Air Force colonel. So with him, I have to be very delicate when talking to him about end-of-life plans. He's uh, extremely independent, has always been the authority figure in his life, always in control. So this next step is is obviously very difficult for him. So I really have to tread lightly when discussing things from whether he wants to be cremated or have a traditional burial, going to look at assisted living facilities, nursing homes, and and that sort of thing. I am the sole caregiver for him. My parents divorced when I was in high school and he's never remarried. My sister's in Los Angeles. She's the only other sibling. So it's really up to me. So my dad lives alone in a townhouse about 20 minutes from me. We are close enough to see him all the time, but I don't live with him. Just kind of keep tabs on him. It's a lot on me and um, a lot on me to tread lightly, to be compassionate yet respectful about his feelings. So Uh, which has been a a tricky, tricky, but um, we're getting there. (laughs) Everything was a fight with him at the beginning. You know, I had to get a little emotional with him. I, I took him out to lunch a few months ago and I just started crying. And I said, dad, I really, really need you to do this for me. If you love me and you love your other daughter in Los Angeles, you'll help us. Because if something happened tomorrow, we wouldn't know what to do. I think when he saw me upset, visibly upset, I think his heart broke and he realized, hey, I can't do this to my kids. He's definitely more um, willing to talk about it now, but it's still baby steps uh,
0: for sure. So um, that's where we are. Today on the Sunshine Economy, facing the care and cost of caregiving. We're live during the 9 a.m. hour and taking your phone calls. Are you caring for a loved one now? Will you soon be caring for a loved one? Maybe you're the loved one being cared for and listening to us here live during the 9 a.m. hour on this Monday here on WLRN. Share your experiences with us, your questions about deciding whether to age in place, go into a facility, what type of facility, how to pay for it, and how to navigate the web of services for aging loved ones. 800 743 9576. We're live and taking your phone calls during the 9 a.m. hour here of the Sunshine Economy. 800 743 -743 800-743-WLRN. Amy O'Rourke is with us, author of The Fragile Years, Proven Strategies for the Care of Aging Loved Ones. Amy, welcome to the program. When is the right time to start the conversation about caregiving with an aging loved one?
5: Well, I loved what Dana was talking about earlier, but what I would say is when the minute they mention anything, About growing older. I remember in my 30s, my mother was in her 50s, almost 60, and she said, I never want to be a burden to my children, and I missed that opportunity. Mm. So, the minute they mention something, ask open ended questions. If you miss that opportunity, they will mention a friend or, or a neighbor that had an event or hospitalization or moved into a community. Use that time to bring up this topic and ask open ended questions. And then the last time I would say when something happens to them, I prefer talking to um, having children talk to their parents when it's removed one step from their physical well-being because it's just easier and less threatening.
0: I imagine the sentiment uh, expressed by your mom that she didn't want to be a burden to her children is a common sentiment expressed by uh, parents or grandparents. What What is what do they mean by that and how do how how is that heard and acted upon appropriately by the younger generation?
5: Well, it's a conversation to be had and most children will say, uh, you know, mom, you can move in with us. Mom will build something on the back of the house or mom will move in with you. And and most of the time, Tom, parents want to live on their own and they've raised their children and they want them to be independent. Mm-hmm. So it it creates a, a, a role between the two of them that parents are usually uncomfortable with. Um, so having some independence is important to a parent and then h- hoping that their child will not be burdened and, and will, by them financially, emotionally, and they will have time for their own children.
0: What role should the cost of care play? in those initial conversations or even in the more mature conversations if they've been had for several years and preparation and plans have been laid.
5: Well, listen, money is hard for married couples to talk about, talk about with your children. The cost of care is really at the base of every decision to be made. You can want to stay at home with 24-hour care, but if you don't have the money to pay for it, your decision is really going to be made for you. So it's imperative that costs get discussed, acknowledging that money is hard for people to talk about talk about with their children, talk about with their spouse. So although it's the most important thing in my mind, you have to be able to afford what you want. Um, it's often the most delicate and the most sensitive topic yeah. to be talked about.
0: And, and whose money is it to be talked about? Is it the the person receiving the caregiving? Is it the caregiver's money? Is it a combination?
5: Well, I, ideally, most clients want to pay for it themselves. Um, Children I've seen will often offer to pay. Parents are uncomfortable with that most of the time. And keep in mind, I'm talking about the bell curve of growing older, but it's the parents' money that I'm talking about. Mm
0: -hmm. Uh, We're speaking with Amy O'Rourke, author of The Fragile Years, Proven Strategies for the Care of Aging Loved Ones, talking about the challenges and the cost of aging in Florida live during the 9 a.m. hour here on the Sunshine Economy this week, taking your phone calls. Uh, Are you caring for a loved one currently? Have you had these conversations with parents or grandparents, 800-743-9576. Maybe you are the aging loved one, and you have initiated these conversations with children, nieces, nephews. 800-743-WLRN is our toll-free phone number throughout South Florida to join our conversation. Amy, how should adult children think about their role in coming up with a plan if they are the ones particularly uh, playing a financial role or maybe playing a secondary financial role?
5: Well, I like the idea of asking the parents what their vision is. How do you envision your care? How do you envision my place in it? What do you see me doing uh, in your life as you grow older? And getting the parents to talk about how they see the role and then the caregiver, the child, can see if that fits in their lifestyle, how old are their children, what is their financial situation, are they working full time. And so my, my dream for, for families is to work on their roles together and develop it um, as, as a changing relationship, not unlike your relationship changes when you have a teenager and you have to learn to parent in a different way. <laughs> You're learning how to be a child in a different way. Uh, with your parents in this time. So working on it together is my ideal
0: um, state. What what do you mean learning how to be a different child in this state, even though one would presume uh, that child is a fully functioning adult by the time uh, they're perhaps lucky enough to have an older parent to, to still have this caregiving conversation?
5: Well, you never stop being their child. So you can't really take the role on as the boss. If you, if you do that, you will fail. So it's learning Mm -hmm. how to support in an adult way, respecting their autonomy and their dignity and that they're still your parent. So it's working on that relationship together uh, to solve the problems together and not solving it for them. The minute you sound bossy and authoritative, you'll lose.
0: Yeah, Amy, stick with us. Amy O'Rourke is with us for the full hour live during the 9 a.m. broadcast here of The Sunshine Economy. Amy is the author of The Fragile Years, Proven Strategies for the Care of Aging Loved Ones. We're taking your phone calls, 800 wlrn Share your experiences of caregiving the decisions you've had to make, the decisions perhaps you expect to be making in the future, and the challenges and the costs of making those decisions. Eight hundred seven four three 743 wlrn your phone calls coming up in just a moment, still to come in our program, when it is time for professional caregiving.
1: She was playing bridge with friends for 60 years to, at where she was, and one by one they were dying, but she still stayed firm and didn't want to move. At 95, she was still driving. She had a car accident.
0: We're back on the Sunshine Economy. I'm Tom Hudson. Thanks again for listening this week. Today in the program, facing the care and cost of caregiving. We're live during the 9 a.m. hour taking your phone calls. Are you caring for a loved one? Are you the loved one being cared for? Share your experiences with us, your questions about deciding how to age in place, go into a facility, and, of course, how to pay for it. 800-743-9576, live during the 9 o'clock hour at this number, 800-743-WLRN. Marsha Dottoli was ready when her mom decided it was time for more caregiving, but that has not made the transition any easier.
1: My mom just celebrated 97 years in August. She's a warrior, a tough cookie. She's currently living in an ALF. I moved her there two years ago, and she has dementia. For two years prior to when she moved in, which was September of two years ago, I would just say, don't you think it would be um a good idea to move into independent living? She was outliving all of her friends. She was playing bridge with friends for 60 years where she was and one by one they were dying, but she still stayed firm and didn't want to move. At 95, she was still driving. She had a car accident. And she said to me, "It's time for me to move." into independent living. Little did she know that I was investigating for two years. So within a month, I had everything ready, and moved her in to a wonderful place in Aventura. She said to me, I know I was ready to move, but I didn't think you'd do it so fast. Uh, and that was the beginning of the journey of caregiving for my mom. It was incredibly, incredibly stressful for me at the beginning because um, it was very difficult transition for mom who had lived on her own until she was 95. <sighs> she would call me every day, sometimes 20 or 30 times a day, yelling at me, how could you do this? What kind of daughter are you? Um, I did everything for you in my life and you put me here. I will never forgive you. And um, uh, even though I knew it was the disease talking, we would hang up. And, of course, she would forget because she's only in the moment with the dementia. But I'm left with the feelings.
0: Marcia shared with us that she eventually had her mom evaluated at a memory center and some medicine was prescribed to ease her mom's anxiety and emotions. It brings up the topic, certainly, of dealing with memory behaviors as caregivers, as we see our loved ones age. Amy O'Rourke is still with us, author of The Fragile Years, Proven Strategies for the Care of Aging Loved Ones. Amy, <laughs> we've got some phone calls we're going to take in just a moment, but just playing off of Marsha's uh, story, uh, when should someone engage with a professional evaluation, and, and how does how does memory affect caregiving options?
5: Well, it makes the care more expensive, one. Memory care is the most expensive care you can buy, whether it's an assisted living or in a facility. Uh, as to when you should get it and evaluate, it, evaluate your parents is as soon as you can get away with it. If there's any evidence at all that there's a memory deficit, and you can get them to go along with that, whether it's the primary care doctor or the neurologist. Uh, Do it as soon as you can, mostly for your own education, learning how to deal with dementia. There's a lot of literature out there. There's a lot of support out there. It's really more about learning the stages and how what to expect so you can minimize the personalization of it.
0: We're taking your phone calls about the cost and challenges of caregiving here in South Florida, 800-743-9576, 800-743-WLRN. Amy O'Rourke is with us. The Fragile Years, Proven Strategies for the Care of Aging Loved Ones is the name of the book. In Miami, Emma is on line three. Emma, thanks for listening and calling. You're on the radio.
6: Hi, good morning. Good morning. Good morning. just wanted to share my experience with my mother-in-law who just passed away um, about two weeks ago.
0: Mm. I'm sorry to hear that, Emma.
6: Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, But my experience was a little different than your previous callers. Uh, The decision was hers and hers alone. And the process that we chose was to support her in her decision as uh, we accompanied her to several um, different facilities, independent living, uh, nursing facilities, um, ALF um, properties. And so at the end, she made the decision of the one she liked the most. Um, And so the transition was done over a course of about three months. You know, she filled out her own applications, and I assisted her with the finance aspect of it and Mm -hmm. the submission of all the necessary work, the evaluation process, obtaining all her medical records to make that transition and for her to have the evaluation to make sure that she qualified to be in the facility that she chose and that they were able to give her the level of care for the medical conditions that she uh, particularly had. So it was a good fit. Um, she was comfortable with her decision. And so we, over the course of about three months, we transitioned her from her own home, uh, which she lived, and, you know, uh, did the process of um, donating a lot of her mm-hmm. clothes, which she wanted to make sure that it went to a women's um, shelter. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, A lot of the belongings were offered to family members first, then to neighbors, then to the Salvation Army and the Veterans Affair that came and picked up her furniture. So she was involved in that entire transition process, and I think it made her feel um, independent still that the decisions were being made by her, but just with our support. So that's another um, item to consider or pass to consider uh, when they make that decision for themselves is just to be there and support them and let them make the decisions because at the end it's their life, it's their property, and um, you know she she felt good about that. And so when the time came for her to to pass, you know she she had made her own decisions and and um, and. Had
0: already made her pre-arrangement. Yeah, Emma, um, I I, I, re- I really appreciate you sharing that story with us, and I'm sorry to hear about the passing of your mother-in-law. Uh, but uh, but I, I know that that story is resonating with uh, so many listeners here as we're talking about the the uh, the cost and the challenges of caregiving. Emma joining us in Miami, Amy, uh, um, uh, Emma had the good fortune of having a mother-in-law who could be engaged in the decision of her own caregiving. Sometimes that's not always the case with aging loved ones, that they're unable, unwilling, or incapable of participating in some of those decisions. How how do you navigate that as a caregiver?
5: Well, I I think Emma was very, very fortunate. I think that's ideal Uh, when your parents want to be engaged. My father was like that also most of the time it's challenging because change is evident and change is difficult for people. It's difficult for all of us.
0: Yeah. Uh, Let's go to Mike in Miami. Mike, thanks for listening. Thanks for calling. You're on the radio.
3: (laughs) Hi, how are you doing? Good. Uh, I'll make a quick comment about how to armor yourself against the emotional damage that can happen when you're caring for someone with dementia. I lived with my mom for uh, five years to take care of her. And all I can say is my big mistake was, being that she was an independent, intelligent, very capable woman, I would pay attention to what she was saying and give it weight and importance when that was a mistake. What I needed to continue to do was pay attention and listen and make sure that she knew she was being heard and understood. But I should have never paid any attention to the demented nonsense that she was mm-hmm. saying. And I learned that later. My mother's just about at the very end now, living at home with uh, a 24-7. My sister, fortunately, comes down and and is now in charge of everything. But I've learned that from her, and uh, so to understand, not paying attention or giving importance to what this person says is not a lack of of self, a lack of respect. It's a lack of understanding that it's the dementia talk.
0: Yeah, yeah.
3: That and the other thing I would say is. Get a very, very early bunch of neurological tests before dementia sets in so you have an actual baseline and you have MRIs you can compare against to see what this is, uh, where it is, and have a better idea of what you can do. that's that's basically what I have to
0: say. If anyone has a question, I'd be happy to answer. Yeah, no, Mike, I appreciate you sharing that uh, experience with us. I'm sure that that experience also is shared by so many families, uh, so many caregivers listening. Amy, uh, uh, Mike's uh, tip there of getting testing, regular testing, some baseline testing to understand when a loved one is perhaps uh, having something more than just a slippage of memory. What are some of the challenges and costs that are associated with that, and and how does how does one navigate the opportunities to to pay for that kind of care early on, even?
5: Well, you're going to want to make sure if your parents on Medicare, traditional Medicare, or Medicare Advantage plan. If they're on a Medicare Advantage plan, they're going to have a challenging time getting tests on a regular basis. That's all managed by the companies um, that they purchase their Medicare Advantage plan from. I like the idea of getting. Baseline information and building on it on an annual basis. I think that's wise. Um, sometimes it's unaffordable if you don't have a reason to be tested. Right.
0: And and where does that reason come from? By the way, is that a, a medical reason from a physician?
5: It would be a medical reason from a physician. It might be getting lost when you previously knew you were where you were going. It might be leaving yeah. the stove on. An event that indicates you need to have your memory examined.
0: Amy O'Rourke is still with us. She is the author of the book, The Fragile Years. We're taking your phone calls about caregiving, the challenges and the cost of caregiving here in Florida. 800-743-WLRN. Still to come, planning and caring for the caregiver.
2: My mom is about to be 50, and she has 80-year-old parents. She's still got to work, and she's not retiring anytime soon. But my grandparents are going to be requiring more care.
0: I'm Tom Hudson. Today on the Sunshine Economy, facing the care and cost of caregiving. We're live during the 9 a.m. hour and taking your phone calls. Are you caring for a loved one? How are you dealing with the cost of aging? Call us now live during the 9 a.m. hour, 800-743-9576. 800-743-WLRN. Jesley lives in Orlando. Her grandparents live in Hialeah. Jesley did not want her last name published to respect the privacy of her grandparents.
2: My grandparents live by themselves in Miami. The two of them kind of make up one person, if that makes sense. So if someone forgets something, the other one remembers, so they're kind of keeping up with each other. But I'm just, we're trying to plan for when it gets worse. Because right now it's like, you might forget where they, they forget where they place their keys. They're not forgetting yet to turn off the stove. I've been having a lot of conversations with my mom because I'm the grandchild. And sometimes maybe I'm a little more on the outside where I can notice more things than my parents can. I'm a little bit more neutral. And we're starting to have conversations to decide what we're going to do while things are still Okay. You know, sometimes in the Hispanic culture, we don't want to put our parents or our grandparents in any type of facility. There's some sort of stigma around it. Stigma of like, I took care of you my whole life. Now you, it's your turn, you know? My mom's in a weird age group. So I'm about to be 30. My mom is about to be 50. And she has 80-year-old parents. She's still got to work and she's not retiring anytime soon, but my grandparents are going to be requiring more care. And she's in that sticky situation where she can't really say, I'm going to stop working to take care of my parents.
0: Eight hundred seven four three wlrn for your thoughts sharing your experiences, uh, caregiving of an aging loved one. Amy O'Rourke, The Fragile Years, Proven Strategies for the Care of Aging Loved Ones is still with us. She's the author of that book. Amy, how do parents and grandchildren approach caregiving issues and conversations differently?
5: Oh my God, it's so messy. It's absolutely so messy. And I think um, families that have grandchildren that want to be involved in support um, are, are very fortunate. And it is nice to have a neutral grandchild helping the parents to help their parents. Um, And you approach it just as, as Jesley said, you're approaching it very delicately and very carefully and and culturally uh, broaching subjects that are very, I I would use the word explosive, that might be too strong a term, uh, but very, very challenging. But in reality, it's probably going to have to be um, sorted through. Putting cultural expectations, not aside completely, but moved over a little. Maybe there's caregivers in the home mm. to help, um, not moving to a community, but other people other than the children coming in to help on a regular basis.
0: How do you navigate that cultural expectation, particularly in uh, multicultural, uh, such a diverse community that we have here in South Florida? We had a listener text in a question, asking about how do you have a conversation with a family member in a different country in Latin America who has an expectation that their U.S. relatives are financially well off.
5: That's a hard one. I I would want to put a plug in for hiring a professional care manager. Sometimes you have to hire in someone from the outside to come in to help navigate those conversations and not be the one delivering the message. Sometimes there's information locally that are available that helps support the families in the absence of a a child living in the same city. Um, So when it's possible, I would hire someone professionally. AgingLifeCare.org is a place to look for support. Um, and if the support can't come from care management, you might want to secure someone other than a family member to initiate those conversations.
0: Let's take a phone call in Miami. Marianne has been very patient. Go ahead, Marianne. You're on the radio.
7: Thank you. Um, thank you for taking my call. I'm glad I, I came on after that um, previous person mentioned the Hispanic, the Latino culture. Um, I'm a single mom. I'm there, um, just in my 30s. But my parents had me at a very old age. My mom had me at 44. So now I'm kind of in this weird place where I'm raising my small children but also caring for my older parents, over 65. Um, and and it, it's definitely difficult, um, especially having them, you know, they're very cultured. They, they came to the United States at an old age. So... Um, it's it's difficult because we I have four sisters so it's not just me it's it's me and my my other sisters who we have to kind of teamwork and come up with um, something that we all agree on mm-hmm. as far as how we're gonna care for my for my parents so um, it's definitely difficult and I I know I'm missing some stuff but um, I'm glad you guys are on this topic and I even thought uh, wow like. I, I
0: definitely have to get this book, <laughs> uh, Marianne. I appreciate you sharing your story with us, and you bring up a really interesting point, Amy, that I'll have you comment on here quickly. Uh, Marianne, active with her aging parents, but as she mentioned, she's one of several siblings, and uh, you know you're you're you are held hostage by those uh, by those familial relationships, and perhaps there's some dissenting voices. Uh, when dealing with uh, uh, brothers and sisters and trying to find the right care and the right coverage options for an aging mom or dad?
5: I think meeting as a family is a wonderful idea on on a schedule that works for everybody and sorting through it together. Uh, talking about those sensitive topics before the parents, um, before you have the conversations with the parents, is a mm. lovely idea. I would support that.
0: Yeah. Uh, Amy, stick with us. We're going to continue our talk about the challenges and cost of caregiving here in South Florida. still to come, policies, and the price of elder caregiving.
3: You know, we're trapped in a caregiving crisis, within an economic crisis, within a health care crisis.
0: This is the Sunshine Economy. I'm Tom Hudson. Today, we're talking about the cost and challenges of caregiving. It's an economic issue as much as a health care issue. Consider that the fastest growing age group in Florida is people 65 to 74 years old. The next two fastest growing groups, 75 to 84, and Floridians at least 85 years old. The number of Floridians 65 and older, it's about the same as the entire population of the state of Kentucky. And Florida is getting older because another quarter of the state's population will turn 65 by the next presidential election. When Joe Biden was running for president two years ago, he announced a plan to spend $450 billion to expand caregiving for seniors and disabled people.
3: In the last few months has only underscored how vital it is for families in older Americans to have more home care and community care, choices that fit their real needs. You know, we're trapped in a caregiving crisis, within an economic crisis, within a health care crisis.
0: This spring, as president, Biden released an infrastructure plan that included $400 billion for these caregiving services. But by the summer, that effort had been dropped as the White House has been negotiating with congressional Republicans and Democrats, though the Biden administration continues pursuing that new spending. Are you helping care for an aging loved one? What about facing the costs of that care? How are you dealing with all of this? 800-743-WLRN, our phone number, 800-743-9576. Larry Polivka is retired as the executive director of the Claude Pepper Center in Tallahassee, where he specialized in aging issues. Larry, I'll have you unmute on your iPad so we can begin our conversation about some of the challenges that the state of Florida has been facing and of course the country has been facing and what the president described as a candidate, an economic crisis, a caregiving crisis and a healthcare crisis. So Larry, what is the state of community elder affairs in Florida? How would you assess it?
8: Uh, <clears throat> thank you, Tom, uh, for the opportunity to appear on your program with Amy. Um, I think that uh, you know the long-term care our challenge in Florida is pretty much the same as it is in the rest of the country. Um, <clears throat> in that uh, we have a very unevenly, uh, a very uneven and substantially compared to other wealthy countries, underdeveloped long-term care system. And one of the reasons for that is the United States spends less on long-term care services than any other wealthy country in the world. Uh, that's from Japan to Europe and uh, other other nations. Uh, we spend less than 1% of gross national product of, uh, on, on long-term care, and the average in Europe is over 2%. Uh, if we were spending at 2%, we would have a far more extensive, far more accessible, and higher quality long-term care system than we have. Larry, how is and, that
0: money? how would that money be spent? Where would it come from? Is this public it, spending?
8: Yes. Yes. It has to be, Tom, because... <clears throat> Um, You know, the research over the last several years shows that no more than 20 to 25 percent of the people over 65 could afford long-term care on their own, out of pocket. This is very much a public need Hmm. challenge that is long-term care. Um, And if we were spending at a higher level, as would be the case uh, with the Biden program you just described, that appears to be on a back burner at this point, which is unfortunate in my judgment, if we were spending that $400 billion over the next 10 years, we would, be, we would increase uh, the GDP we spend on long-term care to over 1.2%, which would make a material difference in states like Florida. Now, in Florida, uh, we have, among the underdeveloped long-term care states in the nation, uh, one of the most undeveloped. Uh, so much so, in fact, that AARP, uh, which has been assessing state long-term care systems in a comparative framework for the last 10 years, um, in 2020, uh, found that Florida is ranked number 51st, hmm. according to 26 indicators of quality uh, that they used uh, to make these comparisons.
0: Now, how can that and- be? What's contributing to that, Larry, given well, that the what, population what, yeah. and the supply of folks that uh, would uh, potentially be in that uh, uh, client pool for long-term care, folks over 65 years and older, is the fastest-growing sector of the population in Florida.
8: Yes, I know. And this has actually been a challenge for some time. It's not as if Florida, just in the last few years or the last decade, suddenly became a low-expenditure state uh, uh, for long-term care. That has been the case for much longer than that. Although, Florida actually created in substantial measure the, the community-based, home-based alternatives to nursing home care mm-hmm. when Senator Bob Graham passed legislation when he was in the Florida Senate in 1975, setting up the community care for the elderly and the home care for the elderly programs, which actually became kind of the template for the improvement that we've seen in the last 40 years in several mm-hmm. states of long-term care by providing... Those highly preferred alternatives to conventional nursing home care in the community, but since Florida made that extraordinarily innovative move over 40 years ago, we have lagged compared to a really high quality long and and, and long term care is very much a state determined uh, phenomenon. I mean, Medicaid funds it. Medicaid is federally in-state, uh, you know, sources mm-hmm. of funds, mm-hmm. uh, but states really have uh, control over their uh, fundamental of, uh, over the fundamentals of their long-term care policy. Over the last forty years, Florida has essentially lagged, and one of the manifestations of that lag is that, as the ARP evaluation pointed out, we have somewhere between sixty to over eighty thousand people on wait lists who are eligible for current services. Whether it's CCE, uh, Medicaid, provided uh, services, are older Americans that.
0: What's CCE, we Larry? We
8: have a large amount of unmet need. Yeah. That is one of the major manifestations of the failure of long term care, at my judgment, or the failure to achieve at the level that it should in Florida.
0: What's CCE, Larry?
8: Community care for the elderly.
0: Okay. So it's community based uh, services. Yes. And, and
8: it was and, extraordinary innovation. And that legislation, and that's in 1975.
0: Uh, The State Department of Elder Affairs, during testimony within the last couple of weeks before a uh, legislative committee holding hearings ahead of the next legislative session, said that about 900,000 Floridians rely on community care services. Now, the state is receiving over $100 million in federal stimulus money from the American Rescue Plan, which uh, the state of Florida has pledged to use to address the wait list for long-term care facilities. And in this testimony in the last couple of weeks, the Department of Elder Affairs said that about half of that money is going for nutrition services. Uh, Explain that, and is that appropriate?
8: Um, Nutrition services are important. There's no getting around that. And one of the challenges... Uh, with uh, providing the kind of supports they really need to for older people, especially those who are over 80, 80 plus, is uh, providing sufficient calories and nutritional um, uh, you know food mm-hmm. on a day-to-day basis. Um, hunger and malnourishment is a big problem in many parts of the country and in Florida with older people. But there's, there are also many other services associated with uh, high-quality community-based care, you know, in-home in health care, mm-hmm. homemaker services, uh, uh, you know, uh, 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 you know a, a wide range of services that really need to be provided to people in their own homes, especially if they're at serious risk of needing institutional care. Yeah. I think the state decision to go with nutrition uh, under the circumstances is is it, it, highly defensible. The main issue with this is that money's not recurring. It's going to be here, as far as we know, for a year. It may be extended for another, but that's not recurring money. And it's hard to really plan major improvements, structural improvements in your long-term care system, in your home and community-based part of it, if you don't have recurring monies that you can rely on and plan for for years to come.
0: Yeah. Uh, Larry, okay. stick with us. Uh, Larry Polivka is the retired executive director of the Claude Pepper Center, uh, where he specializes in aging issues. Uh, Amy O'Rourke is going to rejoin us as well. Amy is the author of the book The Fragile Years. We're taking your phone calls. We're going to get to as many as we can here in our final moments uh, during the 9 a.m. hour, live here on the Sunshine Economy. Stick with us. <laughs> We're back on the Sunshine Economy. I'm Tom Hudson on WLRN. Thanks for listening and supporting public radio. We're talking about the challenges and costs of caregiving for older loved ones. Larry Polivka is with us, retired executive director of the Claude Pepper Center. He specializes in aging issues. Amy O'Rourke is back with us as well. Amy is the author of The Fragile Years, Proven Strategies for the Care of Aging Loved Ones. Larry and Amy, we've got plenty of phone calls we want to get to in our final uh, few minutes here. Rashida in Deerfield Beach has been very patient. Rashida, you're on the radio. Thanks for calling and being patient with us.
9: Yes, thank you so much for having this conversation. Um, I've been caring for my mother since age 90. She's now 93. Nothing compares um, a, a child, her daughter, the, for the emotional and mental aspect of caring for that parent. And, and to add to that, nothing can has educated the person or me in this particular case on how to navigate through the system to get the services that's needed to help her. Um, with her knees, with her declining knees. She has um, dementia. Her um, physical body has declined. She's now in ALS. And to get her into an ALS was like get doing a thesis um, at, a, at a university or something. Hmm. And, and just getting through the emotional trauma of, of seeing her um, decline and, and wither away, um, um, I had to get therapy myself. You know, yeah. I was the chosen one out of five siblings and the fourth child um, who actually, you know, took her in my arms and, and, and literally located her with me in my home after me retiring um, within four months. So it, it, it's an emotional battle um, on all levels, and, 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 and the novice person does not know how to get through the system. Um, we've been trying to get Medicaid uh, services for, since April, and it hasn't happened. So, um,
0: Rashida, have process. you been put on a wait list?
9: Um, well, well, they keep throwing the application back saying, um, I need this, I need that. Mm, you I know? see. Yeah. Yeah. I, I have someone that, you know, actually did this, this, the application process for me, but every month or so they throw it back, you yeah. know, and it's been very frustrating and, I, and I'm a wreck. I, I'm the caregivers. You know, we become a wreck. We yeah. don't really yeah. Talk about it. nothing can on and on and on I know you've only got a few minutes That's why I'm
0: talking fast I'm no talking I appreciate fast. I appreciate yeah. your, your speed and and you bring up a lot of really important issues Rashida let me put uh, the issue of navigating this system to Larry uh, uh with the retired executive director of the Claude Pepper Center uh, we talk about community-based services there are some there's lots out there but navigating that rashida you heard rashida express you know real anxiety and the trouble and the frustration that she's had to try to try to learn the system of, of services that are available for her and her aging mom? Um,
8: yes, it is a challenge um, um, for R- Rashida and many, many more. Um, you know, in Florida, um, as a matter of fact, it's a national program, but Florida has among its strengths in long-term care, uh, a very good, what's called Aging and Disabled Adult Resource Center, ADRCs. And these are operated through the 11th uh, area agencies on a, uh, aging, the AAA's, uh, who constitute uh, sort of the foundation of the aging network that's been in place for d- decades. Um, and if you contact the area agency, you can, um, uh, I mean, this is, there may be problems. I mean, th- these folks don't have enough staff. There's a great deal of demand um, in need, uh, and need, you know, for, for these services such as Rashida has and her family. Uh, but you're likely with some, patients, uh, with some patients to be able to talk to an intake and assessment worker in these ADRCs who can help you navigate the system and uh, whether uh, they can help you if you're uh, private pay or if you're eligible for Medicaid services, um, they can help you understand the system where you are in it and how you can navigate it to the advantage of your loved one.
0: Yeah. Thank you, Larry. Um, we're going to try to squeeze in one more phone call before we run out of time here, uh, on the Sunshine Economy. Sharon in Fort Lauderdale. Sharon, I've got about a uh, little bit more than a minute, but I wanted to squeeze you in. Thanks for calling.
7: Yes. Thank you for
6: the, um, program. Uh, my question is, is similar to Rashida's on the psychological side of things. Um, I have my 90 and 91 year old parents who, um, are living with us, but, um, do not get along. Fortunately, they're they're still, uh, they're not, they don't have dementia, but um, they're, you know, they create a lot of uh, psychological tension and conflict uh, in the house, and I wonder if there's any, any guidance on, you know, how to deal with just the psychological stressors of each, dealing with aging parents.
0: Yeah, uh, great uh, question there, Sharon, and I'm sorry that you're dealing with that. Uh, the parents are lucky to have you around certainly to be able to <laughs> wrestle with that. But Amy, uh, some guidance there for Sharon, uh, with two aging parents who are at odds.
5: Medicare has a uh, program where they pay for licensed clinical social workers to provide counseling and therapy. I would look in the County that you're in for a licensed clinical social workers that provide that service for your parents. Um, to hopefully lessen the tension and the stress in the house, I'm also a strong advocate for counseling uh, for the children, uh, family therapy. It is not a little thing that you're doing, and professional support is strongly urged.
0: What about the insurability of that? And uh, if if it is perhaps a covered service, is it covered under the the child? Is it would it would it be filed under Medicare or Medicaid?
5: Yeah, it would be filed under Medicare and the providers themselves, the LCSW's uh, licensed clinical social workers would bill Medicare for that
0: service. Uh, We heard both from Sharon and Rashida spoke about the care of the caregiver and the real anxiety, mental stress, uh, the psychological uh, uh, and emotional difficulties that a caregiver uh, can have. Uh, Amy, talk a little bit about how to find uh, that relief as a caregiver, uh, even if you're beginning the journey or if you're in the middle of it?
5: Well, I would look in your area for local support groups for um, children with aging parents. That would be the first thing I would start searching for in your area. I would reach out to uh, a care manager in your area and see if you can't get pointed in the right direction for some of those local resources um, i would ask the primary care physician for a list of local resources that they might have mm-hmm. um in 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 central florida we have the ADrc which is is another acronym unfortunately
0: that has support groups
5: for uh children with uh memory deficits
0: yeah uh, and socializing perhaps the challenges you're having with your social network of, of friends and family members uh, would that be advisable amy I would
5: definitely advise it, and I would talk to friends who have dealt with it before, um, having had aging parents or have aging parents. Yeah.
0: Amy O'Rourke is the author of The Fragile Years, Proven Strategies for the Care of Aging Loved Ones. Amy, thanks so much for joining us here today. You're welcome. Larry Polivka is the retired executive director of the Claude Pepper Center. Larry, thanks for helping us navigate some of the policy issues here.
8: Thank you for having this program, Tom. It's very important.
0: Much appreciated. Peter Meritz is our technical director here this hour on the Sunshine Economy. Michael Stock answered the telephones for us. Polly Landis is our booking producer. I'm Tom Hudson. Thanks for listening and supporting WLRN. WLRN Public Media.